Cool. So this morning, we are going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 to 10. And you can go ahead and grab your Bible um, and just kind of put your finger in that for now until we get back to it. Um, I spent a lot of time in this scripture and reading a lot of the commentary that Paul has sent me. And um, this, this was a, a good work over for my spiritual person. <laughs> um, as I prepared to, to bring this message today, it, it brought up a lot of stuff in my life. And um, I hope that it speaks to you as well. It's about suffering. So we've all suffered. Uh, some of us bring it upon ourselves. Some of us seek it out. And some of us keep coming back for more. For me, one point of suffering that, that I wanted to talk about this morning is backpacking. Um, I love being outside. I love adventuring. I love exploration. And I really savor my times that I can be outside in the woods backpacking or mountain biking or a lot of other outdoor endeavors that oftentimes cause pain. Um, usually when I backpack, it can be a bit of a sufferfest. You're walking all day with a 40 to 50 pound backpack on. Um, you sleep on the grounds, sometimes in a chilly night air-filled nylon tent that doesn't offer much protection against the cold or anything else for that matter. You eat meals, uh, if you can call them that, that you make over a single burner stove that usually consists of boiling water, pouring in some powder something, and then mysteriously you have food to eat. Sometimes it's good. Oftentimes you're hungry enough that it doesn't matter. And when I'm backpacking, uh, oftentimes I think, why am I doing this? 10 miles into a 22 mile loop and your feet hurt and you're exhausted, why? Why do I keep coming back and doing this? What's the point of it? Every now and again, you'll, I'll be caught by this amazing view or have this awesome conversation on the trail. And um, really, though, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, is this really worth it? Matt's been on a couple of these with me. Um, and you're exhausted. It's a self-inflicted suffering going without my usual comforts, and why do I keep coming back for more? A couple of weeks ago, Paul referenced this amazing-sounding race through the Yukon. Um, I thought it was awesome-sounding. Uh, it's colder than cold. You have to be self-sufficient. He talked about pulling all your things with you on a sled. You can either ride a fat tire bike, cross-country ski, snowshoe. It's a 300-mile race. Um, and as Paul was explaining it, in my head I'm thinking, how have I not heard of this yet? Because this sounds awesome. So I did a little bit of research on my own, uh, how you can sign up, things like that. I looked at the results from this year's race, and four people finished the race. Um, it was, yeah. So I think next year, Paul and I should sign up for that, do a little elder bonding. I think he'd love it, right? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what I'm saying is that we oftentimes are wired to find those things that are hard and to get through them. And you might think I'm wrong, but I know that there's people that out there that like to run for some reason, right? Some people who like to get their hands dirty in, in the real issues of life of other people. 
um, walking alongside them in their struggles and really stepping into the, the mess of life. And that is mentally, uh, you know, all this has been physically suffering, but that can be mentally very difficult. There's people like me that enjoy recreational suffering, like backpacking. And these are endeavors that that are hard and that we choose to do. And oftentimes for me, back to backpacking, when when I question why I backpack, it's not in the planning stage. It's not right after I'm done with it. It's, It's in the midst of it. It's in the midst of the carrying and the pain. But as soon as I am done with it, I take my backpack off at the trailhead, the car's in sight, my back has that sweet relief of not carrying 50 pounds. My immediate reaction is always, that was amazing, when are we going to do this again? All of a sudden, all that pain, all that suffering is wiped out. The reason I think that is, is because... When I'm in the woods, my mind is clear. It's always reflecting on, on time that I've spent hiking and backpacking. And I see that that suffering produces something in my life. That suffering becomes worth it because I can experience a peace and a joy that is hard to find elsewhere in a day-to-day routine of life for me. And that's why I adventure into the outdoors because in that suffering... I'm reminded of my need to rely on my Savior. I'm reminded that even in his suffering, he brought us great joy. And so the the question that I was seeking to answer as I was preparing this message today is, I'm willing to suffer for myself. I'm willing to suffer for recreation. I am willing to suffer because I see it, it produces good things. But am I willing to suffer the same way for my Christian walk? Do we seek out situations that we can enter into that will be difficult for the sake of Jesus Christ? So this morning I said earlier, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10, to and in this section of Scripture, we hear Paul's reasonings, reason to the Corinthians as to why he is trustworthy and truly a man seeking to preach and teach the truth of Christ. You remember at this time in the church in Corinth, there are those people, those Judaizers that have come in and led the church astray by teaching a false gospel. Paul is now writing to implore them to turn back to Christ. Like us, the church in Corinth has this tendency to stray away. And today we we don't necessarily have someone coming into this church to proclaim false doctrine and if I do that this morning, you have every right to throw stuff at me. But we, we, as a fallen sinful people, we do a pretty good job of letting ourselves be led astray and fall into sinful desires. So let's read 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10. to If you guys will stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Paul says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, 
patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. This is the word of the Lord. You can please be seated. So I talked about our ability to put ourselves in a place of suffering and how we do that because we see there's, we get a reward from it. There is joy in it. Here we read that the Corinthians are putting themselves in a tough spot. They're essentially rejecting Paul, who taught them the truth, who brought them the message of salvation, but they have fallen out to outside forces that teach them that Paul is not trustworthy, that Paul cannot be depended on to teach the right teachings of God. And Paul knows that there is an urgency for the people to be reconciled, and that he, Paul, is a messenger of reconciliation to those people. So in this section of Scripture, Paul launches into his defense of his ministry on this earth. Paul knew that many of the Corinthians, they were rejecting him because they just could not believe that an apostle, someone so closely following Christ, could suffer so much and struggle so often in their life and still be called a true apostle of God. And it, that rung home for me. We, we do this to ourselves today. We think, God, I go to church, I read the Bible, I do devotionals, I pray, I'm kind, I do all the right things, so why do you let me struggle? Why do we struggle? I, I don't believe that we take time in those times of struggle to seek out what God is producing in us. In those times of struggle, God is giving us an opportunity. And that opportunity is to find joy in Christ even as we struggle in life. This message to the Corinthians speaks to my heart. I tend to wonder if all this is worth it, if this is really what God has for me on earth without asking what is God producing in those tough situations? So Paul launches into his defense of his ministry from those who say to him that he is not a true apostle because he's suffered too much. Paul's reaction to this is not to get angry and fly off the handle. Rather, he lays out this very measured defense of his ministry and what God has produced through his sufferings to allow him to do ministry. The more I read this, the more amazed I was with Paul's life. Um, he lived a life that was hard, and he stayed on a singular focus that whole time. He focused on Christ. And it, it blows my mind to see 
how he struggles through life and always points back to Christ, no matter what. Paul was constantly dirty, bloody, beaten, mocked by crowds, sweaty, exhausted, hungry, and tired. But he always endured. And through all of that, Paul knew where his true joy was in life. It had nothing to do with his earthly circumstances and everything to do with Jesus Christ and what he did for him. So in this first section we read, Paul says that we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. Paul's concern as he launches into this defense is that people know the true gospel. He made very real efforts in his life to live a life that would not allow others to say that he's living an unrighteous life. Paul wanted to protect the ministry that God had entrusted to him by making choices that made much of who God is in his life, even if those choices weren't the popular choices. So Paul could honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ. There's not much more damaging to a person's ministry than living a life that is contradictory to the transforming power of God in Christ. And in today's terms, the visual I got of someone who preaches one thing but maybe does another is that car on the road with the little Jesus fish on the back that is like swerving through traffic and cutting people off and blowing stop signs just to get ahead on the road. Those people, that driver is not conducting themselves in a selfless, sacrificial way at all. They are looking out for number one. And they are totally contradicting then that Jesus fish sticker on their bumper that represents Christ by driving like a selfish person and not a selfless person. And so these people coming into Corinth are a little like that. They're teaching that people leading ministry should be commended and that those people should be made much of. They wanted the fame and the recognition that comes with preaching and they did not want the glory to go to God because they wanted the glory for themselves. Paul launches into his ministry experience making it one of weakness in the exercise of his ministry. Paul is talking about his endurance through suffering and he gives credit to God for getting him through them. So first, Paul lists some trials, saying, With great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hungers. This is a few things that Paul lived through. These are the things that Paul had faced on a day-to-day basis, and here he makes it clear that he never gave up. He never decided to pull up his tent stakes and walk away. Paul was in this for the long haul, no matter what circumstance came across his life. Paul had a desire to fulfill his ministry and finish the race that was marked out before him. Even after having been beaten, put in jail, dealing with people who literally wanted to kill him because of his beliefs, 
Paul endured. And here he says he did not just endure, but it was with great endurance that he got through these things. As I read that, I was reminded of Matthew 10, verses 10 to 12, where it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Not often my reaction when people are reviling and persecuting me. But Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul is an amazing example of how to endure suffering on this earth for the sake of Christ. Paul goes on to say that he did not just get through the suffering. He wasn't just looking to finish it and be, put it behind him. And that is so often our mindset in difficult times. I just have to get through this, and then life will be better. Once this suffering is over, then I can spend time in God's word. But right now, this suffering is just bringing me down. I can't do it. We don't take the time in our suffering to examine what we are being taught because we're too focused on what the suffering is doing to us, how it's bringing us down, how it's holding us back from what we want. Or we can, we can approach suffering with a more prideful attitude. It's possible to endure in this life, but to do it in a self-righteous, resentful, survivor spirit that is self-pitying and angry at all those around us who do not shoulder that burden with us while being inwardly proud of our grit, especially as Americans. I did this. I got through this. Paul talks then about how he got through suffering. It wasn't on his own power. Paul never said, look how I overcame being in jail, being beaten, being in the middle of riots. It was only through purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. These are the tools that Paul used to get through those hardships. And as I read this list, I had to admit that oftentimes, in my time of suffering and difficulty, I tend to turn more into myself and go into survivor mode than to be open to what God has for me and those people, even, that he's placed in my life to get through that tough stuff. And here, as I read Paul's list, I was reminded that we cannot get through the tough stuff alone. We are not created to be islands. Paul was prepared. He was prepared for spiritual warfare. And he prepared by being in God's word. When he's in God's word, he knew and understand the power of God and where that comes from. And he also knew how to be able to use truthful speech because there is nothing more true 
than God's word. Paul relied on the Holy Spirit to use the fruit of the Spirit, such as kindness and sincere love. Paul didn't walk into trials empty-handed. He labored day in and day out to be connected with God through his word and through prayer, so that when trouble came, Paul knew how to react. He was never caught off guard. He was never caught on his heels. Oh, what do I do? He knew how to react because he trained his mind. He engaged in spiritual training of consuming God's word, of being connected to our commander through prayer, and not just of a, God, get me to work on time because I'm running late. God, protect me because it's but an intentional set-aside time of, Lord, I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you and get to know who you are. Paul also knew the importance that even as he suffered, even as he didn't get what he wanted in life, that God got the glory. And when Paul knew when God got the glory, that he could endure with joy in his heart. Now, I'm not sure who wrote what I'm going to read next. Uh, it was something I read in the commentary that Paul gave me, Paul Vroom. Um, and I really liked what it said, so I just want to quote it here. Paul concludes with a mounting song of triumphant endurance that rides on the down-up rhythm of paradox. The first half of each of the seven paradoxes read together is like a dirge, as impostors, as unknown, as dying, as punished, as sorrowful, as poor, as having nothing. But the second half is like a dance. Each of the seven paradoxes of endurance ends in triumph. So I'm going to read those again right now. We are treated as imposters and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul is reminding them and us that the world will reject the true teaching of God's word. The world is going to call it false in order to tempt us to follow the ways of the world. But even though the world calls the gospel fake, we know that it is the only truth on earth. As dying, yet we live. Paul is slowly dying from the beatings and hardships that he faced. And yet, Paul is more alive when he's writing this in Christ than he has ever been. As punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, Paul had experienced friends abandoning him. He experienced converts turning away from Christ. As punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, Paul had experienced, oops, sorry. <laughs> so he experienced converts to Christ turning on him, but Paul kept his eyes on Christ, knowing that Christ is worth the suffering 
because he first suffered for us. As poor yet making many rich with the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel which is better than any earthly possession I could give to you. As having nothing yet possessing everything. He told the Corinthians earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 and 22 that for all things are yours. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Although we may not have what we think we want on earth, that new car, that bigger house, the bigger bank account, a stable job, the happy life, with possession, we possess all things in Christ because we are found in Christ and fight Christ is found in God. And I'll tell you, there is nothing on earth that you could possess that is better than that truth. And now you might be thinking this morning, good for Paul. He was, he was an endurer. He got through a lot. I don't face those hardships. My suffering doesn't look like Paul's. We live in a country that I am not one iota worried that government officials are going to knock down those doors and arrest us for having a church service and praising God. I am not worried that anyone's going to put us in jail today for our beliefs in Christ. We may face the occasional scoffers who would disagree, but rarely in life will that disagreement become a confrontation that escalates into physical anything. So what does suffering look like for us today? And here, I'm, I'm going to kind of use suffering and sacrifice a bit interchangeable. As followers of Christ, do we strive in our life to leave, live peaceably with others by just not talking about what we disagree with? If I don't bring it up, it won't be an argument. Everything will be nice and dandy. I'll be happy. I've used this, and I've often heard this reasoning that I'm just trying to build a relationship with this person. Then, after I have this relationship that's set to this whatever goal I have for that relationship, then I'll introduce the gospel into our conversations. But not until I have this relationship. Well, if we really feel and believe, not feel, feels the wrong word, if we really believe that the gospel is the lifeblood of salvation and therefore the only way to God and to give God the glory, why are we not leading with that? Why do we not lead with giving truth to everyone we meet? We like to not sacrifice. We like to not suffer and just make sure we, have, we are liked. We are a well-liked person. I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to bring any, up anything that I'm not sure uh, where this person sits with Christianity, with religion. So I'll just glaze over it and be a nice person. How about some other areas in our life? Do we live sacrificially for God in our finances? How do you and I spend our money? Is it spent on ourselves first? Or do we look for ways to cut costs in our life in order to, to give to others in generous ways? 
And again, not so we can be seen as generous, but so we can be faithful to the call that God has placed on our life. If you're in debt, are you giving up luxuries to do everything you can to pay down that debt again so that you can give generously out of what God has given to you? How about schedules? I know I'm hitting some sacred cows here, and this wasn't easy to write, and I was a little nervous to say it, but let's talk schedules, shall we? Is your schedule, is your schedule consumed with work? Do you prioritize work over your family? Or is your schedule driven by kids' events or personal enjoyment, the things I want to do, therefore I'm going to put that above everything else? Or do you have a schedule that allows you to participate in ministry on a daily basis? What are you sacrificing your schedule so that you can meet others for real conversations about what God is doing in their life or your life? Or what do you sacrifice in your schedule so you can care for your family first? Because family really is our first ministry. And I'm talking about nuclear family and church family. It's said that when you look at a person's checkbook and schedule, you're going to see where their idols are. But this morning, I want to submit that when you look at a person's schedule and checkbook, you also see where they sacrifice to make much of who God is and what he has done in their life. In our lives, we can be willing to put ourselves through hardship. We can be willing to go for a run because we know that it'll help us stay in shape. We can be willing to forego a cheeseburger and eat better because we know in the long run it'll make us feel better. Or whatever it is, that you are willing to give up because you seek a better reward by doing something else, right? Our pace of life will reflect our values in life. Do we live in a way that reduces confrontation so that we never have to be confrontational? Do we live in a way that we just avoid criticism so that we can never be criticized? Baseball analogy. Not a big baseball fan, but I, this one struck me. If we never step up to the plate, we're never going to strike out, right? So if I don't try, I'll never fail. However, if we live our life in a way, in that way, we're going to be insulated from reality. We're going to create a false self that looks really great on the outside. And when we do that, we become ineffective communicators of the gospel. We all experience pain and suffering. It's a part of life. We see it in Paul's life, as we've just heard, his suffering and his pain and the way he has endured that with great endurance. We've all lived through it or we are currently living through pain and suffering. But remember that pain and suffering often produce joy and hope. Paul sent me a little paragraph that he wrote about this. And in it, he said he found 18 verses in the New Testament that tie suffering to joy. This is one of them that he sent me. Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, 
who has been given to us. We all need to stop arranging our lives so that it points us towards our happiness. Happiness is a fleeting feeling that will not fulfill your souls in the long run. We need to look at our lives in total. We need to look at the good when we rejoice in God and it's easy to smile. And we need to look at the bad when we try to avoid the things that we try to avoid or ignore because they might just go away wrong. We must expect suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ, knowing that in that suffering, we will be refined and made pure through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I can say this with confidence because we read about it in Paul's life throughout the New Testament, and we've seen the fruit of suffering in Paul's life. And we also follow a God who is a God of promises. He will not break his promises, and he promises that when we follow him, when we do what he calls us to do, even though the world may make fun of us, the world may put us aside, the world may even be outright violent towards us, our reward is not here and now. Our reward is in heaven, when we will be in the presence of God and feel the full weight of his glory that even now we can just catch glimpses of. In Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible, complete and unabridged in one volume, it says this, Their effects lay in another country, in another world. They had nothing in themselves, but possessed all things in Christ. Such a paradox is a Christian's life. And through such a variety of conditions and report lies our way to heaven. And we should be careful in all these things to approve ourselves to God. Let's pray.